Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 193 of Selling the Couch. I hope you are having a fantastic start to your day. So today's podcast session is another episode based on act. I feel like we have back-to-back act-related episodes. And by the way, I did not mean to rhyme on that. Today's podcast session is with David Teach out. David is a counselor in Seattle, Washington, and he actually has a full online practice that incorporates acceptance and commitment therapy. And so, one of the things I wanted to have David on just because I look, I've gotten to know David here in the last several months, and I love the way he sort of operates in the world. I'm really, I'm always interested in how clinicians bring themselves into their marketing versus believing that we have to do it a certain way and then acting in that way. So today's conversation, we're going to talk about David's private practice journey, what made him get started, his journey from transitioning from community mental health into private practice. Uh, David had been in community mental health for off and on for several decades. And so we dive really deep into this question of when something is comfortable and familiar, how do you make that leap into private practice? And what does that entail? And how did David do it? And I wanted to ask that question because I know I know at one season of life, I was in a situation where I was very comfortable where I was. And the thought of trying to start a business on my own, even though it was a dream, being comfortable was also something that I sort of weighed in and balancing all of that. So, and then we jump into this conversation of how David incorporates ACT into his private practice in in sort of big and small ways in how he has conversations with potential clients. And then we kind of wrap up with David and talking about what made him start an online counseling practice and how that sort of aligned with his values. Hey everyone, it's Melvin. Before we get to today's podcast session, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Wellers for supporting today's podcast session. So Wellers is a brand new podcast sponsor and their concept is pretty amazing. So the basic idea is that if you 
are if you are if you have office space to rent and it's not being utilized at all at certain hours of the day then you can actually rent out your office space by the hour to trusted people and if you are looking for office space but you don't want to be confined to a particular day uh, wellers is a great opportunity because what they allow you to do is book an hour here or an hour there depending on your schedule. I'll definitely tell you guys more about Wellers here in the coming days, but to learn more about Wellers and the awesome services that they provide, you can check out sellingthecouch.com forward slash Wellers. And if you go through that link, you get one hour free credit to book anywhere. So you can just check it out and see how it works. And Wellers is spelled W-E-L-L-E-R-Z. So we'll get right to today's podcast session. Here's my conversation with David Teachout from lifeweavings.org. Hey, David. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin. Great to be here. So for those of you guys that are listening, we just spent the past 15 minutes totally nerdy out on podcasting and <laughs> talking about <laughs> podcasting mics. And you know you're a podcaster when you get really excited talking about microphones. So. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. But we are not talking about podcasting today. We're actually talking about building a private practice, incorporating ACT into your practice. And I'm excited for this conversation, one, because I actually, the interview I recorded before was was on ACT as well. So today must be an ACT day, but I don't know. I'm excited because this is a theoretical orientation that is I've resonated a lot with, and I'm just excited to hear how you've been able to incorporate it. Well, it's been my own journey, and I will immediately say I am not an expert. <laughs> but in one of the reasons I love ACT is that there is no concrete certification program. It really is a community collaboration of here's, I mean, everything is pretty much open source. I mean, it's literally like you have your, the ACBS website is just chock full of articles and uh, diagrams and metaphors and so on and conversations about how this can be used and a constant conversation about how not to be rigid and it is fundamentally about psychological flexibility so yeah that's interesting All right as you learn these new things it is that pull to kind of you know adhere to a certain way of doing things you mm-hmm. said the website is acbs it should be acbs.com okay i'll double check on that um yeah definitely and definitely put that on the show notes for you yeah. so so let's get started, which is what made you get started even in private practice, even consider it? So I'd been working in community mental health for, oh gosh, a good couple of decades. Mm. And you know, the, I am not one that I guess plays well with others <laughs> in some sense. I'm constantly wanting to challenge and not only myself, but at times others around me. And so private practice offered the opportunity to be able to go, well, you know, put your money where your mouth is, essentially, and really go out and sell what it is that, you know, the principles that you've been trying to live, you know, in community mental health and be able to express, you know, through business ideas and different services, you know, just basically just different ways of meeting people where they're at, you know, rather than being tied down to a particular building or, you know, organizational structure and so on. I like that flexibility. I think for many of us that get into private practice, it's that element, right, of 
wanting that flexibility and and being able to create something that we can call our own. Absolutely. Yeah. And making things personal. Yeah. It's like you're literally not being inundated by having to hold 100, 150 clients and right. going, oh, well, I saw you for 15 minutes and great. I hope things are okay. We'll see you again in six weeks. And while I do have, you know, some individual clients that do only see me, you know, once every couple months or whatnot, that's their choice. It's not necessitated by the structure um, that I'm operating under. It's literally allowing them to be able to meet me, you know, when they're needed, you know, when they want to actually talk. Right. It's based on sort of, yeah, where they're at versus some sort of a set schedule or even when you have that large of a caseload, like it sounds like it's practical, right? You may not even have the availability. Oh, no. You only have so many hours in the day in the week. Right. So you said something which I I really like want to get deep into because I feel like definitely a decent amount of folks that are listening to the podcast have, they're in community mental health or they're in some sort of agency work. You said you were in decades in community mental health. I feel like for me, if I were decades in community mental health, there would be a part of me I would want to take the leap and leave, but there would be this other part of me, I would feel this pull to know this was comfortable and this is all I know. And why would, you know, why would I take a leap? So mm-hmm. how in the world did you overcome that like mental hurdle? Actually, you know, thinking back on it, you know, part of the way of getting out of it was I'm not one to do just one thing. So even, you know, it wasn't consistently, you know, two decades of working in it. It was a few years here, take a break, a few years here, take a break, a few years there, but then also doing other things at the same time. You know, the constant need to pay off student debt. Practical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back to the practicality. But, you know, I've, I've worked with, I've worked in, you know, with prison population. I've worked with elder care and those who are inpatient with medical diagnosis as well. Worked with foster kids, worked, um, you know, in more of a generic uh, community mental health, doing intakes all day long to doing, you know, therapy, working with a team. And in some ways, you know, it, it's enticing to keep in it. Like you know what you're going to get pretty much day to day. You know, there's not too many surprises. Like you get the crisis, like not going to downplay that. But by and large, you know, it's an easy thing, particularly if you have a family and you get used to here's the steady income. Here's just how I'm going to do things. And for that matter, you don't have the energy when you get home after putting eight, eight or nine hours or more. And usually you're not getting paid for more, but you're still doing it. And you don't have the energy to pursue anything further. And that was probably one of the the freeing things for me is that I deliberately did do other things while or in between that constantly kept the window open with the recognition of, right, there are other things to do. Hmm. In fact, in in a recent conversation with somebody who got out of community mental health and is looking at going into private practice, I actually told her to take a couple months out (laughs) and do something that is utterly unrelated to mental health that she still just very much enjoys doing, but really kind of almost a a mental palate cleansing, you know, Mm. to go reevaluate what is it that you really want to do? Why do you want to do it? And what are the principles that you want to bring into this business? Because you don't have the structure anymore given to you. You have to provide it. And to go immediately from one to 
you know, that the kind of inbuilt stuff to then having to do it entirely on your own. Yeah, hugely overwhelming. <laughs> Take some time. You know, I, I mean, we joke about it, but I think it's such a wise step because it's a different way of operating, right? So being in steady employment and taking the leap because you're burnt out and cynical, that's a different mindset than taking a step back, thinking through values, thinking through who you want to serve. I feel like the first one, at least for me, the first one could be energizing initially, but I'm not sure it's sustainable. Whereas the second one, it's more like a like low, medium, or like maybe more consistent energy mm-hmm. over time. Well, and I think it's, you know, in some ways it's the difference between, you know, you, you can always find what you are against, mm. but settling down on and learning to identify what you're for, that's a little harder. You know, it's, you know, similar to the freedom to and the freedom from, like we can Freedom from a whole lot of things, but freedom to, uh, okay, now we're going to start asking some bigger questions. I love that ACT has become so much like a part of you, you know? Yes, <laughs> really. <laughs> the like, oh my gosh, I just literally quoted the ACT Matrix. Okay. Yes. <laughs> You're like walking, talking ACT here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's the, you know, it was when I was, I think, in my internship, uh, when going into, you know, community mental health, you know, I was, you know, like all of us, we think we know everything. So I, I'm starting to, you know, build this like, oh, I don't agree with all these other systems. I'm going to create my own. Wow. Bit off more I can chew on that one. But, you know, and then you can start going around, you're reading all these things. And then I completely just stumbled across, I believe the first book was Act on Anger, or, or rather Act on Values, not on Anger. And because it was a it was a curriculum that was creating you know anger management, and so I came across this book and I'm like, wait, what's this act thing? And immediately it was like, wait, you mean there are other people with decades of you know research who are talking about this collaboration between you know psychological flexibility, Buddhist philosophy, the idea of language you know, being the problem that so much of what we're dealing with you know, comes down to avoidance. I was like, wait, okay, I'm going there. <laughs> like, thank you for, for delivering everything that I was kind of trying, you know, trying to get to, to put in all the work. Somebody else has done it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, such a difference. I feel like this field constantly humbles me <laughs> in many different ways. Yes. So. Oh my gosh. I wanted to shift a little bit, which is, so you started reading things on ACT. You were like, oh my gosh, this stuff is amazing. How did you decide that you wanted to actually incorporate ACT into private practice? Well, part of it was I had a deep reticence about the medical model of practice, in particular, the focus on labeling human behavior <laughs> as pathological. And so, you know, it just had this deep-seated feeling of going... People are more than this. Like, you know, they're coming to me with with issues that are when we step back and look at life, are honestly only taking up maybe 10% of their lives. And and yet we continue to reinforce that this is the issue that we need to, you know, uh, take stock of. And and again, none of that is to say that there aren't legit, you know, issues that are going on with that. It's just that they take this. Um, greater mental space than they necessarily have to. Hmm. And ACT really brought that home for me. It, it provided a theoretical structure and a practical structure 
to meet people from a holistic uh, point of view, to meet people from the perspective of, you know, these issues that, that you're struggling with are one, not because there's something fundamentally wrong with you, um, but because they're, you know, maladaptive tendencies. They're stuff we all deal with. And frankly, you drill down many of these mental, you know, things that, that we're going through, like anxiety and depression, we all do it. We're all, we're all engaging in the same practices. It just, for some of us, they didn't become the go-to place. We weren't, to use an ACT term, fused with the particular myopic way of looking at life. So it didn't become all-encompassing. Another you know, way of looking at it is, for most of us, we have other tools in our, in our toolbox to deal with life's problems. And you know, whereas people dealing with a lot of other issues, you know, it became the only one. And it works really well. <laughs> um, this, the consequences are terrible. And so, you know, ACT really was really there to, just to be able to meet people and, and go, you know, I think one of my, you know, favorite parts about explaining it, you know, part of ACT is, as a therapist, is to explain, okay, here's how this works. <laughs> because it's not the same kind of therapy that people, by and large, are used to. Hmm. So you really need to spend the first session, at least part of it, explaining what's going to be involved. Mm-hmm. And when you when you get to some variation on, I'm not here to solve your problems. You're likely not going to ever get rid of depression, anxiety, bad stories about, you know, your sexuality or your parents or whatever. Like you're not going to get rid of these things. Instead, we're going to learn how to embrace them without the destructiveness that they've kind of carried along so far that takes a little bit <laughs> people are looking at you like wait what you're not going to get rid of this right right so yeah because i yeah. mean that's a it's a different sort of way of looking at it and so it's a good point that you're making because this is sort of my next question of so when people are coming to you expecting a fix mm-hmm. right to whatever they're struggling with and you're presenting it this way I would imagine there's probably like, okay, then why am I paying you? Why am I I here? (laughs) Right. right. Why am I here? Like, so, which I imagine that this happened, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, So how do you even like at a practical level, when that happens, how do you continue to say, you know, this could be helpful? Mm -hmm. And so this is me even asking this question, both as a clinician and as a business owner, right? So like, how do you sort of navigate that when that, that situation arises? So a couple of a couple of ways. One, go to humor. You know, it's like you know, I I reframe the situation. I had a phone call just for somebody who was looking for possible services, and we had a brief you know chat about what situation he was wanting to work through. And and by the end of it, you know, I reframed it through this paradigm of of you know moving towards and away for a value structure. And you know, and he we got to the end of it, and he's like, "Wow, that was." really helpful hmm. and and I don't feel any better <laughs> and I just joked I'm like yeah I know I'm not here to to make you feel better and he starts laughing I'm like yeah I'm a terrible therapist <laughs> he just and he just laughed and he was like and he but he deeply appreciated the honesty you know he deeply appreciated that I wasn't selling a kind of Oprah cure hmm. you know he, he's like no life is about struggle hmm. you know you know it's it's the uh you know the mark manson i won't i won't use the full wording here on, on, on your interview but you know it's like it's a constant you know life is a constant choice of what you're going to care about 
Mm. And, you know, it's, it's about selecting the problems you you're believe are worth struggling through. And so, and that kind of leads into the second issue of going, is immediately confronting the person going, well, you reached out for a reason. And that reason is to address, you know, whatever issue that, that you've come up with. And how have you been dealing with it before? Hmm. And they'll go through, you know, well, yeah, I've been dealing with it this way. I said, okay, do you want to continue doing it that way? Well, no, <laughs> obviously it hasn't been working. Otherwise I wouldn't be talking to you. And so it's like, great, I'm going to help you learn new ways of dealing with this. Mm. And, I can see like even that way of looking at it, it, there's a sense of responsibility, right? Yes. It's not David's responsibility to fix me, Yep. but we are now like co-journeying together. I can mm-hmm. give you the tools, right? But yep. ultimately this falls kind of on you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, in fact, part of my opening spiel is honestly stating one of my central goals is that you don't talk to me again. Mm. You know, we get to a point where I am not the person you come to to solve things or to address. Like it, it's very difficult business model because I'm not building up a huge repertoire of clients all the time. But because they're constantly moving, you know, my, the average number of sessions that my clients go through is, is about six to nine. And that has nothing to do with insurance because I don't take insurance. It literally has to do with, great, I now have the principles and I understand how this works in here. And they'll go from biweekly to monthly to, you know, sometimes quarterly just as a kind of check in to go, you know, this one thing came up. I'm not sure how this relates. But I remember we were thinking about it this way and how does that work? And I'll let them kind of do that struggle a bit mm-hmm. and then ask a few questions to pinpoint, you know, something that may have been overlooked. And then they're like, oh, great. That's right. All right. I'll see you again in like six months, <laughs> it's, which is fantastic. You know, it's I'm I am not I need a, I need to make a T-shirt out of this. But, you know, it's like I'm not here to be your guru. Like, <laughs> You want that. There's plenty of people out there who are more than willing to help you out with that and each their own. Yeah. And you say it like so matter of factly, but like I <laughs> can't imagine the amount of humility that like it takes to realize that, you know? So um, it's, yeah. Well, and I'm all, uh, yeah. Well, every time you mention humility, I'm going, am I, am I really? Um, <laughs> but it's because it is a constant work at going, you know, I don't, you know, it's, it's a conversation I have with colleagues fairly regularly about, and it's what I got confronted with in community mental health, you know, people who had been there for years and years and years, and they're talking about the exact same thing. Right. And yes, we need to understand there are systemic issues and societal and cultural issues that structural problems, and, and those are notoriously difficult to deal with from a therapeutic perspective and not dismissing that at all. And yet at the same time, even within many of those things, if we're having the same conversation, I'm going to look at that as I failed, that I didn't identify that the relationship, the counseling therapeutic relationship that we have built isn't working for you. Mm. It fundamentally only worked for you know helping me continue to pay my bills. I just, I don't, I'm very, very wary of going down that path. I wanted to shift a little bit, which is so specifically ask you a couple of things. So one is, the question is, you know, how do you share that you're an act therapist through your marketing? And one of it is, it, one, it sounds like it's through that initial consult, that conversation about what you do, what you don't do. 
And then would you mind just sharing with us like two other kind of practical things? So like everything from, do, do you, are you explicit like on online profiles? Do you explicitly say on a website? Like what guide, guide us through what that looks like for you? Sure. So immediately, I mean, you can say I practice from an acceptance commitment therapy or ACT, you know, that you, know, you, get, out, you get that out there. And their ACT is becoming a f- more well-known so pe- people are starting to clue in that this is, you know, this is, you know, the next step of, you know, CBT, according to some, that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, so one, you know, it's, it's naming it, but two, you know, it is about, you know, discussing things from a values perspective, not overselling that point, but values are, they're big business right now. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that it's difficult to walk into any major organization and not see some kind of poster or, or flyer about here's what we care about. Here are the values of our business. And so people resonate with that. ACT works through values a little differently. So some of that then when I discuss values with people and when I mention it in like social media, you know, advertising and so on is to offer a bit of a jarring perspective. So it's like, you know, you, you post, have you done something lately you didn't, you didn't like? Have you ever asked yourself, you know, what value that was serving? And then people are, you know, immediately like, wait, but I didn't like it. So how could that be something that was serving? Okay, wait, I need more questions. Like what, what, what's, what's going on here? So you're almost, you're enticing people through cognitive dissonance. Hmm. Literally that you're kind of the hook is not knowing how to proceed forward. And so the, the other way is, is also through humor of labels is, is going through, you know, when was the last time you had a relationship with your depression? Hmm. You know, when was the last time you embraced and, and made friends with your anxiety? Hmm. And As opposed to the anxiety resides in you. and Exactly. Strength. Yeah. yeah. And instead of making it something to combat an enemy to fight, Really getting into the language of acceptance, embracing, not wallowing, <laughs> very different, but, you know, living within the reality of, yeah, we have to struggle through these things. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad you're saying that because even like I'm looking on the website, which you guys can check out over at lifeweavings.org. And even like on that first page, right? Like at the very beginning, you say, learn to work with not against your feelings. Yep express your authentic self in relationships, come craft a life of values and acceptance. So all of that, that terminology and that wording, like without saying you operate from an act perspective, like it's got it written all over. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the, and I think I mentioned this before about act being non-rigid, you know, you fundamentally learn how to embody it for yourself. You know, the metaphors that form much of the basis of, you know, how we, you know, talk within therapy, they're constantly changing. Hmm. You know, it's, you're, you're not here. I think it was just re, uh, watching a video from, his name is Timothy. I forget his last name, but he's like the, he calls himself the Zen social worker. Hmm. He's got a YouTube channel. He's hilarious. Just, just came on to him. But he, you know, he mentions how, you know, ACT is not about the capital T truth. We're not here to solve world problems and tell you this is the only way to do things. What it is about is small t. It's this is how you've been living your life. And you wouldn't have chosen it 
in very generic sense of the word choice. If it didn't work for you in a particular context, what you're coming to me for is that the consequences of that story, you don't want to work, you don't want to deal with anymore. You know, it's, it's like, you know, I love, you know, it's like nutrition. I can get calories in multiple ways. I, I can reach for the salad or I can reach for the five pound bag of gummy bears. Thank you, department store. You know, but I'm going to get the calories either way and I'm going to feel great for both of them in a different way. But the consequences of pursuing it of each path are going to be obviously very, very different. And after a while, you just get a little tired of the con- dealing with the consequences of eating gummy bears all day long. <laughs> I constantly mention awesome. <laughs> it's my go-to place. David, I, I wanted to wrap up with, uh, I felt like this question could probably be a whole episode, but I'm going <laughs> to just wrap it up with this one question, which is, before we got started, you said that you actually provide 100% of your services. At this point, it's online. Mm-hmm. What made you do this? So, yeah, it's all my individual and and partners uh, therapy is all online. You know, I'll still do seminars and classes if uh, space is provided. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was flexibility and mobility. It was those two values are central to one, my own personal life, but then also business. And I wanted the ability to get outside yet again, both literally because I've had therapy appointments in the middle of the woods. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it's, but again, you know, even more so meeting the client where they are, letting them not deal with some of the structural things that they just don't want to. They don't have to worry about traffic anymore. They don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about weather. You know, they can literally have a conversation with me as they go for a walk outside or in the comfort of their office or, you know, in their own room. Um, or, you know, lately one was driving, you know, he's just like, I'm just going to have a conversation because I'm on a road trip and just need to work through a few things. Great. Let's have this, let's have that chat. And, and I've found that when you are authentic in your presentation, I have not seen any drop in the personalness hmm. of the practice. People are still like, I literally had people crying over a video hmm. and, and felt just as, you know, in that, that empathic intimacy is still there. You know, this may not have been, you know, as easily done 30 years ago, but then again, 30 years ago, we didn't have the iPhone. You know? <laughs> so, you know, video is, is where so much is going. People are used to it. And, you know, being able to meet people like that is, is just great. As a purely practical matter, getting rid of an you know, office, got rid of 90% of my overhead. So, you know, right. it's... <laughs> It's, it's, it's like I went from needing five or six appointments a month to pay all my bills to just break even to, to like, oh, wait, yeah, that's, that's an immediate increase in financial viability. A lot less pressure, you know, and I imagine that itself like translates into doing much like better work. Yeah, you can really focus on your personal presentation rather than the structural presentation. Not that you can ignore the rest of it because, you know, for instance, you don't want your, you know, bed in the background, you know, kind of thing that that bit of a, you know, teletherapy faux pas. Um, But at the same time, you know, having to worry about whether or not they're driving up and whether or not you have, you know, the ADA accessibility, you know, ice on the sidewalks, whether or not you're, you know, having to deal with, frankly, any of the stuff that you have to do with 
you know, you're already doing with dealing with it at home. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And I think what I most appreciate about that is you created the online practice to align with your values yes. of flexibility and mobility. It wasn't a, you know, mm-hmm. we're just do this kind of thing. It, it was a scary step <laughs> initially, but I mean, within two weeks, I doubled the number of clients I had. I mean, it was, it was really, it was just, it was delightful. That's awesome. David, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful that a little, something like a podcast has allowed us to connect. We're in two different, completely opposite sides of the country, and yet we're having a conversation. So tell us more about where we can find some of the awesome work that you're doing in the world. Well, first, Melvin, thank you for this. This has been an absolute joy. And you know, people can always encouraging questions. So people can come over to lifeweavings.org. And they can also look up the same name on virtually any social media. And I think for that matter, if you just Google my name, I think it's actually me in like five of the top 10. <laughs> it's kind of scary at one point and kind of funny at another. <laughs> unique name. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's a unique name and I post everywhere. So <laughs> Google loves me. Uh, David, thank you again for doing this. Thank you very much. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my session with David and I hope that today's session has been particularly helpful if you're thinking, if you like ACT, if you're thinking about how to create a practice that aligns with your deeper purpose and with your values in life. You know, when I was reflecting on this conversation and the thing that most resonated for me was David's courage in aligning with his values, particularly around flexibility and mobility and how he created a business and he's in the process of creating a business that aligns with those values. I just, having the conversation, I just kept thinking, it's so neat to see that unfolding, you know, that you can, you sense the passion that David has for his practice and and for his clients. Again, uh, David's website is over at lifeweavings.org, and I encourage you to check it out, especially if, and just sort of notice the languaging that David uses on his private practice website. Show notes to today's session can be found over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 193. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met, and you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable, and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. 
Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.